Good morning, everyone. It's good to have you here today. We want to uh, recognize all of our veterans here today. Uh, those who have served, uh, will you raise your hand or stand? Won't you just stand for us? All those who have served, you can still stand, can't you? All right, good. Thank you for your service, and I hope your family totally wades on you hand and foot today, all right? Uh, also want to give a big shout out to uh, 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 Joe Ducey, who's been uh, involved in cleaning up the property this week and, and the new plants around. want to thank Joe for his hard work. And our tremendous deacons have been here all morning long getting everything ready for the Thanksgiving sort. And so we're just really thankful for them. And, uh, and thank you for your generosity who has really uh, helped us so we might be able to minister to these families uh, this holiday season. So, so as I shared with you before, as a teenager, I was able to enjoy riding my motorcycle uh, in the hills of southern Indiana on these gravel roads. And this was a great, great experience. Uh, for me growing up out in the country, not having to worry about anything and messing around and riding a motorcycle. And, and it was just a wonderful, wonderful experience. But in my adult years, I tried to stay away from uh, motorcycles. Um, I did have a moped in college. Yes, I was one of those guys. And um, so, uh, but outside of that, especially when we moved down to South Florida, I stayed away, tried to stay away from motorcycles as much as I could. But I really do enjoy the, the whole experience of riding a motorcycle. And so um, when I would take trips down to Haiti, mission trips down to Haiti, I would every once in a while borrow a motorcycle and go out on a little ride. And so one time I did that and um, I was riding all around. I thought I would go down to the city of Lakais and I'd been to Lakais several times, really felt like I knew uh, the city and stuff like that. So I'm riding around feeling sort of like Steve McQueen, you know, and, and, um, and uh, so riding around and, and I took a turn and I found myself in this dead end, this kind of cul-de-sac sort of thing. And there was all these residents, if you would, around. Um, and when I rolled in there, um, they all started looking at me like, what's this white guy doing in our cul-de-sac? And, uh, and uh, of course, uh, being the skilled rider that I am, my, my motorcycle stalled. And uh, so now I'm not only scared, but I'm, I'm embarrassed. And, um, and I, I just felt like the whole crowd was starting to come in and squeeze on me, you know, um, really trying to get a little. I looked around trying to figure out how to get out of this mess. and I saw no way out. Then uh, all of a sudden I felt a little tap on my shoulder and I turned it around and this guy must have been the, the captain of the call you sack, I don't, don't know, but uh, he basically just pointed for me to, to come with him. And so I, I got off the motorcycle and I started walking behind him and as we, we went out of the call you sack, it, it was like it, like the Red Sea was parting. Everybody would just get out of the way of this guy and able, able to just walk out and got out into the main street. and and uh, hopped back on a motorcycle, you know, kick-started it, and the engine purred, and I felt relieved now, and, and he gave me the thumbs up, and I went on my merry way right back to the guest house, never to ride a motorcycle in Haiti again. Now, I tell you that story uh, because when you, when you run into a dead end, 
uh, it can be it can be frightening. It can be a, a terrible experience when you you kind of lose your sense of direction. You don't really know which way to go, and and you get frustrated. You don't know which way is north, south, east, or west, and and it can become quite a frightening. And so the question I have for you today: Have you ever come to a dead end? A dead end. I'm not talking about a dead end in Lakai's. I'm talking about a, you felt emotionally that there was no way out, no way that you could get out of this mess, and that you really needed someone to come and to rescue you. Well, this morning, we're going to be continuing our series on Be Still, Slowing Down in a Busy World, and we're going to consider uh, the idea of be still and see. Be still and see. Now, our main verse today comes from Exodus chapter 14, the first part of verse 13 that reads, Do not fear, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will accomplish for you today. Do not fear, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will accomplish for you today. Now, this text comes from the familiar story of the Lord parting the Red Sea. And if you grew up in church and Sunday school classes, you are probably pretty familiar with it. But for those of you that aren't, let me try to set a little bit of context. We know that the Lord delivered the children of Israel out of uh, Egypt, out of their bondage in Egypt. And Pharaoh decided to chase them with over a thousand armed chariots. His entire army chased after the children of Israel. And now you remember that the children of Israel had been slaves in Egypt for 430 years. 430 years. And so when God called Moses, he called them to bring them out of the bondage of Egypt, but also to bring them into the promised land. It's important for you to understand is that the children of Israel were like a son to the Lord. And as the Lord's mouthpiece, Moses actually told Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, Israel is my son, my firstborn. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But as you know, Pharaoh first refused to let the people of God go. But then after a series of plagues, concluding with the death of all the firstborn of the Egyptians, Pharaoh finally let the children of God go. This was the release of over 600,000 men, not including the women and children. 600,000 men who for 430 years, well they weren't that total the whole time, but was basically free labor, free labor for the accomplishments of Egypt. Now what we see is that these 600,000 men, along with the women and children, along with livestock and herds, they all departed. And be- but before they left Egypt, the scripture says that they plundered uh, the Egyptians for all the supplies that they needed for their trip. Here's the word of God. Now when Pharaoh had let the people go, he, God did not lead them by the, land of, uh, by the way of the Philistines, even though it was near. 
For God said the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Hence, God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. Now, this is an important element of the story. The children of Israel could have just traveled west by the way of the Philistines, but the Lord did not lead them that way. You can see on the map here that they could have just went straight west and they would have reached the promised land in about three or four days. Three or four days. No problem, just a couple streams along the way, no big deal. But the Lord did not allow them to go straight west, quote, by the way of the Philistines. And, and he, led them, he led them south. And the reason why the Lord gave, why he did this, is the Lord says, the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. The fact is, is that the Philistine people were a very warlike people. And they were likely to attack Israel as they are traveling through their country. Especially because they were so big in number, 600,000 men, the Philistines might feel fear that actually they were going to try to overtake their own land. So the Philistines probably would take up arms and the people would be so frightened because they've been slaves for 430 years. They're not warriors. Or, and so they might be frightened about this and they might just immediately return to Egypt. You all follow me here? Okay, good. 30%. I think I can move forward. All right. So, so the Lord leads them south. Leads them south. Now, the, the people had confidence that they were going the right way because the Lord, the scripture says, was going before them in a pillar by cloud by, by day to lead them on their way and a pillar of fire by night to give them light so that they might be able to travel day and night. So they, they really felt like they had, a, if you would, a, a divine GPS here. A divine GPS. And this GPS was leading them, and they had confidence that the Lord was going to show them the right way. Now, the fact is, is they could have gotten to, could have gotten there, and they could have just hopped over to the land of Midian, um, right at the top of the portion of the Red Sea, and they wouldn't have had any problem. You can see there by the chart, by the map, that they could have just continued and they could have just gone into the land of Median, then turned north, and it would have avoided the Philistines, and they would have accomplished. It would have taken them a little bit longer, but no big deal. But of course, the divine GPS didn't take them that way. The divine GPS even took them more south, took them down into the peninsula, and put them on the bank of the Red Sea. The fact is, they're trapped. Dead end. No way out. Now, how did they get there? They got there because that's the way the Lord directed them. And so, what I first want to share with you this morning is that our dead ends are by God's design. Our dead ends are by God's design. Back in the spring break of 2017, 
Barbara and I had the opportunity to go visit her nephew in the Bay Area in Northern California, and Clay had given us some suggestions to go and to visit Monterey and Carmel by the Sea and to drive the Big Sur uh, Scenic Parkway. I mean, if you've never done that, I mean, it's, it's just unbelievable. You know, Monterey, especially Carmel by the Sea, just great little cities. And um, so Barbara and I were able to enjoy, enjoy a couple of days there. And we were just walking around the city. And as we were walking around the city, because we, particular restaurants we wanted to go to or attractions we wanted to see and stuff like that. So I would use my GPS. And, of course, I had it on walking mode because that's what we were doing. We just parked a car and we're just walking all around these places. And everything was great. We had such a great time. It was so much fun. But now it's time for us to take uh, the long one-day journey up into northern California because I really wanted to see the redwood woods. I, I really wanted Barbara to see the trees. I saw them when I was younger, and I really wanted to experience that. So we got into the car, and we started heading on this one-day journey to go see the redwoods in northern California. And here we are, all excited. But my GPS keeps on sending me on these back roads. It was so frustrating. It took us over six hours to get to San Francisco, a trip that should have taken us two hours. I mean, so frustrating. And just where in the world are we? I actually had to stop and buy a map. Can you believe that? I actually had to buy a map. And then, of course, I don't know how to read a map now. So I had to ask the truck driver where to go. It was so frustrating. And then by the time we actually got on the outskirts of San Francisco and my GPS leads us downtown into the city streets of San Francisco, that I finally realized that my GPS is on walk, not drive. So my GPS is sending me all all these back roads because I'm on walk. How stupid can a guy feel? I mean, we already have a bad, had a bad reputation of not being able to follow directions, and now I'm not able to follow bad directions. This is a terrible situation. We finally, finally got over the Golden Gate Bridge. It's now in the afternoon. We have several hours to go, and there's construction notices and stuff like that. And let me just simply say, Barbara was done with me. She was ready to throw me out of the car. I don't know if you ever felt that way about your spouse, but I'm just done with this guy, or I'm just done with this girl. I wish I could separate myself from them right now, but now I'm trapped. So we stopped, kind of gained our proposal, our composure, and, and, and you know, reassured one another that we still loved one another, even though it was doubtful. And... Um, and then Barb says, you know what, I remember watching, I think it was on 60 Minutes, that there is this wildlife preserve right in this area. It's called you know, Safari West. And it's all these wild African animals. And you actually can go there and you can take a safari back into all this acreage. And then you can, you can go glamping, which is like glamour camping. It's, it's really cool. And they, it was awesome. And so we called, and after a series of events, got reservations. It was the greatest thing ever. And then we also discovered in Santa Rosa 
the Charlie Brown Museum and the Charles Schultz Museum. And if you ever go to Santa Rosa, you gotta go to the Charlie Brown Museum. You might think it's for a kid. It's not for, it is awesome. My point is, is that because of our GPS, I really felt we were at a dead end. That I had led us totally in the wrong way. Only to find out that this was the perfect trip. This was the greatest way to spend three or four days in Northern California. Exactly what we did. And I think Barbara and I, after she forgave me and stuff, she have, we finally came to the conclusion that our dead ends are God's design. And that's how we have to look at things. Well, back to the children of Israel. God knew that when Pharaoh heard about their tactical error, when he heard that the children of Israel were, were wandering, wandering aimlessly, that they had come to a dead end, they were confused in the peninsula on the banks of the Red Sea with no way out. God knew that Pharaoh would chase after them. And he did. But for God, this was not a fluke. It was no accident. It was no tactical error. God had planned for this dead end because he was going to be glorified through it. Let me just read you some of the story. Then the Egyptians chased after them with all their horses and the chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his armies, and they, and they overtook them as they were camping by the sea. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very, very frightened. So that the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? How sarcastic. Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Who brought them out of Egypt? God. Is, not the word, is, is it not the word that we spoke to you while in Egypt saying, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians for it would be, be better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. I don't know if they ever really said that. So they're making up stories. They're being ultra, you know, sarcastic. And they're very afraid. So Moses says to the people, do not fear. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he is, will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians who you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. I know as, as a preacher, and maybe within your line of work, words is what I have. Maybe when it comes to a job interview, maybe when it comes to a presentation, maybe when it comes to making your point of view or winning an argument, you really rely on your words to win the day. But here, <laughs> the Lord is saying, shut up. Keep silent. 
I'm going to fight for you. Basically, the Lord is saying, just, just peel yourself away from all your emotions. Stop your chatter, 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 chatter. And be still and see that I will fight for you. Now, at that point, the Bible tells us that this pillar of cloud that had been leading them by day actually turned and went behind them. And it separated the children, the encampment of the children of Israel and the encampment of the Egyptians, the army. And this pillar of cloud, when it went behind them, it tells us that, that the, the Egyptians were now in total, absolute darkness. Couldn't see anything. But when the cloud went behind them, even though the Egyptians are now in darkness, now the children of Israel have full light. God is basically using the cloud to bounce off some sunbeams and some moonbeams so that they could have light all night long. And we, the scripture says that there is no way that the Egyptians could even chase after the, the children of Israel anymore because they couldn't see. So then Moses stretches out his hand over the sea and the Lord swept back the sea by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land so that the waters were divided. And the sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on dry land and the waters were like a wall to them on their right and on their left. Why did God want to give them this light from the cloud? He wanted to give them this light from the cloud so they could see what God was doing. God wanted to see, wanted them to see this, this, this east wind. And God wanted them to see those waters stand upright. God, they wanted, God wanted them to see that he used that wind not only to stand the waters upright, but so to dry out that seabed so they could walk through that seabed without getting any mud on their feet. He wanted them to see his work. God had led them to that dead end so that the people of God would see the salvation of their God. Well, after all the children of Israel were safely on the other side, the Lord lifted this pillar of a cloud. The scripture says, then the Egyptians took up their pursuit and all Pharaoh's horses and his chariots and his horsemen all went after them in the midst of the sea. And then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may come back over the Egyptians, over the chariots and their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal state at daybreak while the Egyptians were still right, were fleeing right into it. Then the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Hallelujah. Moses had told the people, do not fear, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord which he will accomplish for you today. Basically, Moses was saying, be still and see. Now, God had already delivered the children of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt. But what he's doing now is he wants the people of God to see his ongoing deliverance in their life. And as 
believers in Christ, we recognize, we see how God has delivered us from our bondage to sin. How God has set us free through the salvation through Christ. And that is a glorious thing. That's a, that's a, a new birthday in each one of our lives. But God wants us to see his ongoing deliverance in our lives. He wants, to see, he wants us to see his deliverance in our lives day after day after day after day. He wants us to see all that he will accomplish for us. God wants us to be still and see the salvation of the Lord. Before we get into certain specifics that I want to see from this narrative, things that I think that we can learn from this narrative, I first just want to just say in an overarching way, I really believe that we have to seek the Lord to enjoy the journey. Even the dead ends. It's really hard, man. I'm telling you, Barbara wanted to kick me out of that car. It's like, I'm never traveling with this guy again. But it turns out to be the greatest thing, right? We have to learn how to enjoy the journey. We have to learn that the Lord is leading us. The Bible says, for all who are led by the Spirit, these are the children of God. And we have to trust God for the journey. So what can we see here in this narrative so that we can have a sense of expectation when we reach dead ends in our lives? And first I want you to see that God wants us to see that he brings light out of darkness. He brings light out of darkness. Remember, the same cloud that God had used to lead them, he now, the Lord repositions himself before the children of Israel. And that same cloud that brings light to the children of God is the same cloud that brings darkness to the Egyptians. He wants to bring light out of darkness. Have you ever heard the phrase, and with every cloud there has a, a silver lining? Uh, it's basically a phrase that encourages us to look at difficulties and setbacks as opportunities for something good that's going to come out of it. I just want to stress the fact, it's not that the difficulty is good. <laughs> the difficulty is ugly. The difficulty is not good. The situation that you're experiencing isn't good. It's ugly. It's brutal. It's painful. It's, it's just, are you all getting me here? It's not good. So I'm not in any way saying, oh, well, you know, that's a good thing. It's not a good thing. It's a terrible thing. But God brings light out of darkness. And I must, I must seek for the glimmer of light that God is going to give in the darkness that is consuming me at this point. That's what God wants to do. He wants to bring light out of darkness. Don't you get it? It was his first miracle at creation. The, the whole surface was covered with darkness. And what's the first thing that God said? Let there be 
light. That's what he does. That's what he loves to do. And we will, when we look at our salvation, it's the miracle that he's done within us, that he's brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. But the fact is, is that God wants to continue to show us light in the midst of darkness. In both of those cases, the darkness existed. It was ugly. It was gloomy. It was no good. But God did what? Brought light. And that's what the Lord wanted the children of Israel to see. That he is a God that brings light out of darkness. Secondly, the Lord wants us to see that he provides a path for us to follow. What's really interesting in this text in Exodus chapter 14 is that after Moses tells the children of Israel, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. And just one or maybe two verses later, the Lord says to Moses, tell the sons of Israel to move forward. Okay, so here's the deal, is that the children of Israel, it says in two times in this narrative that they were frightened, and, they, and then Moses says that they do not, you know, do not fear. So it seems like they were consumed emotionally. Consumed emotionally. And, this, and their emotions were paralyzing them. Freaking them out. I can't tell you, man. I, I, and, and, and a lot of, in a lot of ways, I can deal with a, with a toothache, but I hate it when I'm emotionally freaked out. When I'm emotionally freaked out, which doesn't happen very often, thanks be to God, but when I'm emotionally freaked out, I'm saying to myself, how am I getting myself back together here? How am I going to, this is so weird. I just don't know how to do it. There's not like a, there's not an Advil to take. You know what I'm saying? And it seems to me that's what the children of Israel were. They were totally emotionally freaked out. So, of course, Moses is telling them, listen, be still. Get yourself together here. Be calm. God's going to come and fight for you. See the salvation of the Lord. <laughs> and it seems that as soon as the Spirit of God came upon them enough to stabilize their emotions, what God says, now tell those boys to get going. Move forward. God always provides a path for his people. Christianity is more than just a religion. Christianity is the belief in the supernatural power of God. I don't know if you know that. It's the belief in the supernatural power of God. Don't you get it that in the midst of the darkest thing that we experience in our lives, the death of our loved ones, we are the ones that says that there is eternal life after death, that there will be a resurrection to come. We are the people. We are the people. Christianity is the religion that believes in the supernatural power of God, that God always makes a way where there seems to be no way. But we have to take the step. You have to move on. God has provided the path. Now he wants us to step into it. And I love this analogy, and I know it comes from my farm boy experiences, but you don't get a piece of mud stuck on your boot as you go through that river. No remnant. 
only evidence of the supernatural power of God through Christ. And God wanted the people of God to see that. No mud on the boots. And lastly, God wants us to see that he defeats all of his and our enemies. You understand, right, that Pharaoh was an enemy of God? And Pharaoh was an enemy of the people of God. So what does God do? He comes and fights for us. He defeats Pharaoh. And by defeating Pharaoh, he defeats his enemy and our enemy. He's showing us that he, any enemy of ours, is an enemy of his. Basically, any enemy of the Lord, any enemy against you, the Lord comes and says, don't tread on me. So what are you fighting today? What's the enemy that seems to be getting over on you? And you need to know that our God defeats all of his and our enemies. As I shared with you a couple weeks ago, our God destroys the destroyer. The Father has put all things in subjection under the feet of Christ. He has given Christ all authority in heaven and on earth. Christ has conquered all of his and our enemies. Therefore, there is no disease, no addiction, no demon, no bad habit, no fault, no vice, no weakness that Christ will not overcome in our lives. Amen? Christ is the overcomer. He defeats all of his and our enemies. He disarms the enemy by triumphing over the enemy through the cross. He extinguishes all the flaming missiles of the evil one. And the Bible tells us that there is no weapon that is formed against us that will what? Prosper. Why? Because our God defends all of his and our enemies. Whatever is our enemies is his enemies and he's going to come and fight for us. And he wanted the people of God to see that. Be still and see. Do you see what's happening here? Do you see what God is showing us? He's showing us that our dead ends aren't really dead ends at all. The Lord brings us to the edge of the sea down in the peninsula of life because he wants us to witness his action, his power on our behalf. For us, it can be scary, frightening, but our God will bring light out of darkness. He will make a path for us to follow. He'll bring that east wind and he will defeat all of his and our enemies. Amen? So let's embrace, let's embrace our dead ends and really glorify God through them. Let's really ask the Holy Spirit to lead us so that we might see the the light in the midst of darkness. Ask the Holy Spirit to show us the path that we're supposed to follow. Let's really seek the Holy Spirit to come and work mightily in our hearts and lives so that God destroys all of his and our enemies. Be still and see.
Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we come to you thanking you for this narrative, for this great text of deliverance. And thank you, Lord, that we can glean from these truths even today. Lord, again, we glory not in ourselves, not in our determination, not in our strength, but we glory in Christ, who has done all things. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and we rest in Christ and his accomplishments. Lord, we thank you from delivering us from the bondage of sin. You have declared us forgiven. It is the final word for us. And Lord, as your people, we pray, Lord, that we would trust you for the journey, even for the perceived dead ends in our lives, even when we think our divine GPS is a little whacked out. Lord, help us truly, truly to see light in the midst of darkness, the path you want us to follow, and your power working within our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.